So the reading today uh, is from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 56. Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and he is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Jesus predicts his death a second time. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christine. Why don't we pray as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, help us now to have open ears and hearts to receive your word and help me to speak them clearly and truly. Amen. Well, uh, my New Year celebrations were pretty quiet. We were at home. Um, but I really did enjoy seeing other people's posts on social media, as I said before, and seeing the news and seeing people celebrating like maybe we haven't done for a while. There were some inspiring Instagram stories, people on beaches, fireworks, attending live music, interstate travel, eating beautiful food and with beautiful people. And dare we hope for more of this in the year to come after the past two years. Our church has inspiring hopes for 2022, don't we? We intend, by God's grace, to plant a second congregation in Fairfield in March. And we also intend to be bolder here in our Clifton Hill congregation as we revitalise and reach out to our local community. And in our January sermon series in Luke 9 and 10, what we read about is Jesus gearing up for mission with his first disciples. And we hope to prepare ourselves 
and be inspired by these chapters as we embark on mission together in 2022. But I must admit that when I came to prepare this passage, I thought, this is no Instagram inspiration story, is it? In fact, this is more like the one where the person does the unflattering selfie from below or posts a picture of themselves without makeup or dares to show what their home really looks like. This is the mess. Wouldn't we have been better to show the passage just before this, which is the story of the transfiguration? Do you know this story? And if you look in verse 37, we're going to work through each part of this passage. You see it says, Jesus and some of his friends had just come down from the mountain. And on that mountain, the disciples witnessed something awe-inspiring and exciting. They had seen Jesus with Moses and Elijah in bright, shining light, talking about Jesus fulfilling his mission and purpose in the world. It was so good, they wanted to pitch tents and stay there forever. But they didn't. And instead, on our first service for 2022, we start here, where they've come back down to earth, so to speak, literally, metaphorically, and things are messy and frustrating. But maybe this is actually the perfect beginning for 2022. The reality bites picture, because we're so used to it. You know, even though I like pretty pictures, I don't always see myself in them. Do you relate? Sometimes you think, oh, that person's life is so good. <laughs> Look at mine. That's just because we don't show all the parts of it. But here we see the messy part. And I can see something of myself here in the disciples. And I want to invite you to see yourself too. To be dreaming big, but a little hesitant. To be ready to make a go of things, but also making mistakes and trying to work out what is going on. As we look at this passage, as we work through the five little episodes we find there, I want us to see that mission is messy, but the work that we do together is Jesus' own work. He sets the agenda and he encourages us to stick at it. There are pitfalls that we're going to see here, things we want to be aware of, traps we don't really want to fall into, but probably will. But as well, I don't want to just look at ourselves, I want us to look at Jesus and notice this, that even though his disciples are frustrating him, he perseveres with them and he continues to invite them into his work and mission with him. And he will continue to do that with us. And that's what I want to say today as we work through this. So I hope you've heard that. That's, that's the thing to hear. Well, in the passage we have here, Jesus is about to take an important journey with his disciples from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's a final journey. And Jesus, you see in verse 51, is really determined. It says he resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. He is a man with a mission. Let's be clear what the mission is. In Luke's gospel, what we might call the mission statement of Jesus is spoken about by Jesus and others time and time again. And the repeated idea that Luke brings up is that Jesus has come to bring salvation. Just last Saturday, we were here for Christmas. And if you remember early in Luke, Mary and Zechariah, even before Jesus is born, they sing songs 
about how this baby will bring God's salvation to the world. And just before in the service, we read the Song of Simeon. And do you know this story? It's this old man, Simeon, who'd been waiting at the temple for years, waiting, waiting expectantly for God's Messiah. And on the day that Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus in to be dedicated and to make offerings, Simeon sees them and he prophesies over Jesus. He recognises him. He says, I'm ready to die now, Lord, because my eyes have seen your salvation. This baby Jesus, he says, will be a revelation, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people, Israel. Simeon had been waiting for a rescuer and he understood that God's saving plans were bigger than even Israel, that this baby would extend God's grace and salvation to all people throughout the world. And between that chapter 2 and here in chapter 9, the story unfolds and the prophecy unfolds. Jesus grew up, he had a powerful ministry, teaching people, healing them. He called and prepared disciples, followers, students, to go on mission with him, to do the same work as him, in his name and by his power. And so here they are. They've come down from the mountain, they're ready to set out. They're heading for Jerusalem, the heartland of Israel's faith. They know they are part of something big. But are they thinking big enough? Look at that first part in the passage today where Jesus heals the boy with the unclean spirit. They come down from the mountain and they're met by a large crowd and a man in the crowd says, Teacher, look at my son. He's my only child. A spirit seizes him and he screams. It throws him into convulsions. He foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus says. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Jesus is frustrated here. Bring your son to me. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him on the ground in convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And this is the thing to notice. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. When they come down from the high of the mountain, the disciples are faced immediately with something quite dark, aren't they? Not healing an illness or teaching a parable, but this is spiritual warfare, plain and brutal. Jesus had equipped his disciples and sent them out to do his work. But the Father says, they could not deal with this. And it does frustrate Jesus. What he seems to be saying here is that their faith in him and his work has not expanded this far. Can Jesus rule over demons? Over spiritual evil? Well, of course he can, and he does it here himself. And everyone is amazed at the greatness of God. It's a great thing that Jesus has done, but it's not the point. The point here is that the disciples did not really think they could do Jesus' work like he had specifically sent them to do, and that they are still amazed that he can do it. Now, this is tricky. I've never been in a situation when I've been confronted by an evil spirit in someone, and I'd probably feel the same if I had. 
it's actually culturally pretty rare for us. In other parts of the world, this might be a more common thing. But I must confess that I do know what it's like to think that God could possibly not work in a situation. To think that my friend or my family member could never really come to know and follow Jesus. And as we embark on mission together, the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that we're not to limit God's transforming power in the world. We're not to limit God's transforming power in our own lives and the things that we struggle with and in the lives of the people we love and that we're going to reach out to in the year ahead. Every time that someone accepts Jesus as their saviour, this is a display of God's greatness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we weren't astonished every time that happened? But instead said, yes, I was, you know, I was expecting that. God is going to bring people to know him. Maybe those first disciples couldn't cast the spirit out of the boy because they didn't think they had it in them to do it. They didn't have the gifts or the power. And in that, they would have been right. When we rely on our own strength and our talent, mission tends to be weak and ineffective. But God is pleased to carry out his work in the world through his people by his strength and his power. So even if we feel weak, Maybe especially as we feel weak and doubt our abilities, we could instead exercise expectancy and pray that God's greatness will be revealed in our mission. Probably over 10 years ago, I don't know if I've told you this story before, I felt very weak as a disciple of Jesus. I'd been a Christian all my life pretty much, but I had a lot of doubts and I felt yeah, I had a lot of questions about what it would look like to talk to people about Jesus in our culture. But I knew that this was what a disciple was called to do. Jesus makes disciples and then they carry out his work. And so I prayed a prayer that was pretty much like this. God, I am terrible at this. <laughs> I do not know how to talk to people about you, Lord. You are going to have to bring someone along, put them in my way, and make it really obvious that the thing I need to do is tell them about Jesus. I just gave it up. That week, I went to Bible study, the Bible study that I was leading in, uh, for women in the middle of the week, and in through the door, just completely randomly, it seemed, walked a woman that I'd made friends with through our kids' kindergarten years. I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. I said, hey, Welcome, why are you here? And she said, well, I need to know God. I'm far away from God and I need to find him. I need to find out about him. And so I looked online and I found this group and I saw your picture and I thought, that's Beck. I'm going to go and find this group and go and, go and learn about Jesus. Okay. And Shana, I told her, I told her about my prayer actually. Because I was, it was so obvious that God said, yes, this is what I want to do with you. This is exactly the kind of prayer I want to answer, and I will answer it. And my friend and I read the Bible and prayed together over the course of a year or so, and her faith continues to grow and be strong. Praise God. I was amazed, but I shouldn't have been, okay? Let's be expectant to see God at work in mission. Okay. Now, the second thing, this is verse 43. 
As we go on mission, we need to remember that the true greatness of God is revealed in Jesus on the cross. While everyone was marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. The end point of this mission journey they are taking is the cross. Jesus knows it. And this is the second time he's spoken about it to his disciples. He speaks plainly, listen carefully, he says, or the ESV translated as, let this sink into your ears. I like that. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But this is completely incomprehensible for the disciples. It does not compute In fact, it says here it was concealed from them so they wouldn't understand what he was saying. Why would God do that? Well, not many of us go towards trouble, do we? I like to run away from trouble. And so the disciples are allowed to continue to think that they are headed for praise and honour with Jesus, not rejection and death. They stick with Jesus because they do not understand They expect that he's going to save by ruling, taking rule in Jerusalem. When the time comes and Jesus is handed over and sent to the cross, they do run away, don't they? But when he rises from the dead, suddenly they understand what has sunk into their ears, penetrates their hearts and minds as well. Now, we embark on mission on the other side of the cross. We read this little, these verses and we understand Jesus' meaning. The pinnacle of Christian faith and mission is Jesus' crucifixion. It's in his dying and rising to new life that Jesus saves us. This is the way that he makes a way for us to enter into life and the glory of God. And as we embark on mission together this year, we need to remember that anything we do must be for the sake of the crucified Jesus. This is what we hold out to people. This is what we offer people. Jesus, the saviour on the cross. This is what we've received and this is what we give. We might endeavour to be the loveliest, most creative, generous, welcoming people in the neighbourhood. And this would be good. I say that is a good thing. But it's all for nothing, isn't it, if at the end of the day we don't proclaim salvation and life through Jesus. It's all about him. We understand that. But the disciples here, they think that the mission is about Jesus' star rising, his fame growing, and him taking charge in Jerusalem with them by his side. And so they start to argue in verse 46. Who will be the greatest. Jesus knows their thoughts and he takes a little child and says, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. When we look at Jesus on the cross, it's clear that he is the least among us who is then the greatest. 
Jesus is the greatest of all. But at times it will be tempting, I think, to boast, to be proud, maybe to compare our church to others, our programs or any successes we have, maybe to pat ourselves on the back. Look, we planted a church straight after COVID, in the middle of COVID. We might want to say, which is better, Fairfield or Clifton Hill? We don't want to do that, do we? It makes no sense. What we need to keep saying is it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus. To him be all the glory. If we embark on Jesus' mission with him, we do well to be like him, caring for the most vulnerable in humility and even in secret. The more we learn to think less of ourselves and more of others and uphold the greatness of Jesus, the more our church and the mission of Jesus will flourish in this place. Practically speaking, if you wanted to apply this, you might think, as a kind of New Year's intention, I think that's better than resolution, to choose to do something very humble in the church this year. Maybe you would choose to pray every day for our church without telling anyone, or to volunteer for something that is not upfront, but perhaps serving behind the scenes or with kids' ministry. If you're ever wondering who is the greatest on our staff team, you need to remember this passage and know that it's Jenny. Yeah? Who takes the kids out and they're hidden away and she teaches them God's word and is raising them in faith in Jesus. Vulnerable people caring for them, making sure that they're safe. It's Jenny. Pray for her. All right, so we've had going on mission together, we need to expect great things. We need to remember it's all about Jesus on the cross. It's not about us. And at verse 49, that if anyone is not against us, they are for us. Master, says John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop them because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. Now this is funny, isn't it? Because we start off with them not being able to cast out the demons in Jesus' name. And here someone else is doing it, some outlier, <laughs> and uh, successfully. And so it's, we could guess at the motives going on here. There might be jealousy. Uh, there might be territorial kind of thing happening here. They're protecting their own interests. Maybe they're just actually not clear. Is that okay? Is someone else able to do this as well? What is clear is that Jesus is totally fine with it, right? Don't stop them. Look, they're doing this work in my name. Yeah, good stuff. He's very relaxed about it, I think. And when you think about it, what's going on here is matching that big mission agenda that Simeon spoke of back in chapter 2. It's not just about Israel. What you should expect when you're on mission with Jesus is that the good news and salvation reaches all kinds of people, that it pops up here and there. And when we go on mission together this year, we need to remember this, that we should be seeking to welcome all kinds of people into the church and expecting that there will be great diversity. And we should be expecting to do ministry alongside people who are very different from ourselves, whether it's age or uh, culture or subculture, whatever it is. Diversity is the good news, part of the good news of God's salvation in Jesus. We want to plant a church 
but not at the expense of other churches in this area. We're not in competition. We want to work together. We want to support other churches and any cross-shaped initiative in our community. We already do this, you know. We have a youth group that's connected to many churches. Uh, we want to support the work over the road at um, the Brotherhood. We want to get involved in good initiatives that take care of God's earth. We want to support families to look after children in playgroup, all kinds of things. And then we have mission partners. We support financially work on the university campus of Melbourne, work in France, Cambodia, and work with First Nations people through TIA. This is because we believe this, yeah? Whoever is not against us is for us. Let's do mission together. Well, finally, uh, in verse 51, despite all the misunderstandings and frustrations of, that Jesus has, he still sets out to the first village with his disciples. As the time approached, Jesus set resolutely out for Jerusalem and he sent messages ahead. And they went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Okay, they, they've got a plan. They're prepared. But verse 53, the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, this is because they're Samaritans, right? And if you know about the difficulties between Israel and Samaritans, Samaritans didn't think Jerusalem was the place where God's salvation should come from and where they would worship God. And so they reject Jesus. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Remembering maybe Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament or something like that. But Jesus is not relaxed about this. He rebukes them. No way. This is not what you do. And they move on to another village. Okay. It's not a great start, is it, to mission? They are rejected at the first village. The disciples want vengeance or something. They... But the, the thing here we need to remember and see about mission is that Jesus' mission is not a ministry of coercion or force. And as a counterpoint to point one of expecting great things, we also need to expect that there will be rejection along the way. Maybe this is the hardest point. I think this is the hardest one for me. Actually, in the last year, I've been processing rejection, some rejections in my own life. Rejection is a very painful thing, yeah, to be rejected by someone. And maybe you fear rejection of a friend if you speak about the cross of Christ or that our church will draw attention to itself, negative attention, by planting and welcoming people and offering God's salvation. But when this happens, the thing we need to do is remember that Jesus willingly suffered rejection, total rejection on the cross, for our sake. He understands what it's like. He doesn't promise that it won't happen. It's the mark of his ministry. But as we come to do mission together, we are not alone. He is with us. He is gracious to us. And we have one another. These are good gifts. And they far outweigh whatever slights might come along. Well, we're going to start this year looking ahead with great intention 
to be on mission together in 2022. And what you need to know is it's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes. Our reputation, our power or strength may wane. That's okay. I want to say, in fact, let's learn to be more vulnerable, to ask more questions, to admit our doubts, but to keep going, knowing that Jesus keeps going with us and wants to shine his light through us, come what may. Let me pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, you sent your Son Jesus into the world for our sake. You love us so much. Lord Jesus, you came and set your face resolutely to Jerusalem, to the cross, to fulfill your purpose, to bring us into life with you forever. Help us, Lord, to work together, to work with you in the knowledge of your grace and love for us, your perseverance and forbearance, and help us to to be like that with one another too. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.